Ben Grimm has always had a soft spot beneath that rocky exterior for his Aunt Petunia. So, when was the first time he mentioned his aunt, and when did she show up in the pages of Fantastic Four? Think you know the answer? Stick around to find out. Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. Hello and welcome to episode 10 for November 29, 2021. Now last week I didn't put out a podcast, not that I didn't want to, but I felt there was too much going on with the holidays and I didn't want my podcast to get lost in the shuffle. The purpose of this podcast is to help you, the new fan and older fans, find comics you haven't read or haven't reread in a long time. As a result, I'm now kind of behind on where I wanted to be, so I'll probably be putting out a couple episodes, maybe even three this week, to kind of get caught up. For this episode, I thought I would do something kind of different. In fiction, there's something called flash fiction. It's short fiction, and at one time I used to write a flash fiction of 100 words or less. So, for this podcast, all the reviews are about 100 words, more or less. I try to cover comics from the golden age till now, and there is a too heavy emphasis on DC and Marvel, which is something I want to remedy in the future. However, I think it turned out to be okay. On a somewhat personal note, Stephen Sondheim passed away quite unexpectedly last Friday. And I know many of you comic book fans don't know who he is, but he was like everything in the world of musical theater. And his passing eh, kind of hit me kind of hard. Um, I've always been a great admirer of his uh, talents. He wrote a lot of uh, musicals, both words and songs, like Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd. And his passing and mourning will take a while for many people. Uh, later on in the podcast, probably later this week, I'm going to do a small little tribute to him. But just while you acknowledge his passing, his influence on my life has been profound. Well, time to get on with the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Please let me know what you think about it at Fantastic Comic Fan, all one word, at gmail.com. I admit, when I heard my Spidey was getting taken off the playing field, I was less than thrilled. I prefer my Parkers problematic, not cloned. Besides, been there, done that. But, in a few issues into the story, my Scrooge McDuck heart seems to be thawing like Frosty the Snowman and that there greenhouse. The latest issue, 78.bey, which I guess means beyond, was amazing fun. I'm reluctantly, grudgingly, enjoying Ben Riley, Misty, and Colleen, and the whole Beyond cast. I'm almost, note, said almost, to the point of why these characters jettisoned into their own I appreciate there's a good run of Action Comics archives from the Golden Age, but I wouldn't say I like how it is just the Superman stories in most cases. You'll get the lead Superman story, which is about 14 pages and nothing else. I believe DC should have all 64 pages archived. For example, Zatara was introduced in the very first issue of Action Comics number one. 
while other characters like Three Aces, mercenary airmen during the Second World War, the Black Pirate, Congorilla, Vigilante, just to name a few, found their home in action comics. These characters and their stories are part of the DC's legacy and deserve archiving, if nothing else, for historical purposes. At the time, many treated the 1970s Teen Titan revival like stinky socks left to age in a hamper. I still like the series, even now. Oh, blame it on being a bronze age baby and a star-crossed 10-year-old when Teen Titans number 50 came out and the sort of introduction to Teen Titans West. Truthfully, I like the West Branch because there were heroes who at the time were sold in sea. There was the original Hawk and Dove, the brothers version, Beast Boy before the new Titans revival, Lola, Golden Eagle, kind of Kid Hawkeye, and the real, original, first Batgirl, Elizabeth Kane, before all the carbon copies. She-Hulk has always been a character I liked, going back to her first appearance in the Savage She-Hulk. However, for me, Jen finally came to her own, of all places, Fantastic Four number 275. The tale opens up with Jen sunbathing atop the Baxter building, topless. Then a helicopter swoops in and takes some of the pics of Jen and the girls in a rather compromising, though flattering, exposure. Most of the rest of the issue has Jen trying to prevent the photos from being published in a sleazy girly magazine. The end is priceless. Not only is it one of my favorite She-Hulk tales, but also one of my favorite Fantastic Four stories. You know, when the Phantom Stranger recruits Scooby-Doo and the gang for an adventure, some really bad, bad stuff is going to go down. But the story features cameos by other ghostly ghosts like the Gentleman Ghost and Kid Eternity. But perhaps the best part is when Scooby becomes the Spectra. Scooby-Doo Team Up number 25 came out in 2015, and the whole series lasted for about 100 issues. The stories act as a perfect way to introduce younger readers to the larger DC mythos. But the kid in us will take to those stories like, well, Scooby the Scooby Snacks. Full disclosure. I've never been a person who's read a Black Panther series before, ever. I like the character, and I've read some story arcs over the years. Partly, I think all the relaunches were part of the problem. Like, which issue number one should I start with? Now, the last relaunch had a successful run. I decided to dive into the latest relaunch with a shrug. If not now, when? John Whitley and Joanne Cabal, I hope I said that right, did keep me interested enough to stick around and see what happens next. I also felt not knowing the long back history of the Panther mythos didn't hinder the story. Looking forward to future issues. I know, I know. A lot of fans frown on that first Star Trek movie bringing back the original crew to again where no man has gone before, and so on. But when that movie came out, I was 12, and at the dawn of a new age of science fiction movie, it still stands out. The movie still stands up as a favorite after all these, um, decades. And like many movies at the time, it received a comic book adaptation. And like many, it faded away. Luckily, IDW reprinted it. And it is a fantastic adaptation. Not too long at 64 pages, with Marv Wolfman writing Dave Cochran and Claus Jansen on art. 
I rather liked it and probably will read it again. After years as a Batman team-up book, The Brave and the Bold ended in 1983. The final issue does go out in style with a team-up between the Batmans of Earth-1 and Earth-2. Well, sort of. While the two Batman may actually never meet, they do work on the same case. Confused? You won't be if you read the issue. For those of you who have read the issue, this issue will always be remembered fondly. One of the more fantastic things is how the art and the tone switches to match the different eras of Batman. Again, if you haven't read it, you need to. I try talking about comics I think you would enjoy. There are too many good comics to waste being negative. However, I believe the two-part Superman Flash story in the world's finest 198.99 is like the mystery science theater for comic books. Too bad to pass up. We have Jimmy Olsen trapped in the past, though I'm not really sure why. We have the Guardians of the Universe, the Phantom Zone, Criminals, and I Ching all thrown in for good measure. It almost felt like a jumping the shark moment with Superman and Flash racing through the solar system. At the very least, the second part could have been issue 200. Because unfortunately, a Superman-Robin team-up doesn't seem like the way to usher in a 200 issue. Not a terrible, horrible comma. Just one that leaves me scratching my head and with a look of, huh? How many realize Looney Tunes is DC's longest-running continuing comic book? No crises, medals, rebirths, or retcons. Clocking in at 263 issues, it started back in 1994. But want to know another fun fact? It remains one of DC's hidden gems. Great talent, great stories, every issue. The latest issue features Ralph Wolf and Wiley Cody deciding to switch jobs, which, well, goes as unexpected for the two coyotes as possible. Of course, like any true Looney Tunes, the stories are all ages, but the older you get, the more the jokes you get. I grew up reading Bill Mantlow's Micronauts, and like many fans, the series holds a special place among my childhood comic book memories. IDW relaunched the Micronauts several years ago, and of course, I didn't read it. The childish part of me wanted the original Micronaut characters, which I knew was impossible. I don't want these wannabes. Well, I take back my childish temper. I read, recently, the series and found it not bad. In fact, in its own way, it does pay homage to the earlier series. Now, I wish I would have read it from the beginning instead of waiting a few years. Let's end today's podcast with the answers to the Aunt Petunia trivia questions. Ben first mentions Ant in the Silver Age Fantastic Four number 25 in 1964, who featured a battle between the Thing and the Incredible Hulk. It was she who raised him after his parents died. It would be 18 years before she made an appearance in Burns' Fantastic Four 238 in 1982. Since then, she's made a few appearances, most notably at the wedding between Ben and Alicia in 2018. That's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, a fantastic comic fan, all one word. 
at gmail.com. Remember now, episodes are every Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.